0: and welcome to the Mason Hayes and Curran law podcast. My name is Claire Lord. I lead Mason Hayes and Curran's corporate governance and compliance department. I will be chairing this morning's discussion on the requirements in Ireland for the maintenance by companies, investment funds and trusts of information on their beneficial ownership and to ensure that these details are held on a central register. These requirements have originated from the EU's fourth and fifth anti-money laundering directives, which have been designed to prevent the use of the financial system for the purposes of money laundering or terrorist financing. The requirements of these anti-money laundering directives have been implemented into Irish law through a patchwork of regulations that I will now briefly outline in order to set the scene for this morning's discussion. The requirement for certain corporate entities, including companies and investment funds, to retain information on their beneficial owners, was introduced into Irish law by way of the Anti-Money Laundering Beneficial Ownership of Corporate Entities Regulations 2016. This requirement was restated and supplemented in the Anti-Money Laundering Beneficial Ownership of Corporate Entities Regulations 2019, which established the Central Register of Beneficial Ownership of Companies and Industrial and Providence Societies. These 2019 regulations also imposed an obligation on companies and industrial and Providence Societies to file certain information in respect of their beneficial owners on this central register. In June 2020, the registration of beneficial ownership of certain financial vehicles regulations came into effect, requiring investment funds to file their beneficial ownership information with the Registrar of Beneficial Ownership of ICAVs, Credit Unions, and Unit Trusts. The EU Anti Money Laundering Directives also require EU Member States to require trustees to hold information in respect of the trust's beneficial owners. The Anti Money Laundering Beneficial Ownership of Trusts Regulations 2019 came into force at the start of that year introducing this requirement for Express Trusts. Then in April of this year, the Anti-Money Laundering Beneficial Ownership of Trust Regulations 2021 were commenced. These regulations revoked and replaced the 2019 Trust Regulations, and in addition to continuing to continuing to require trustees to obtain and hold information in respect of the Trust's beneficial owners, they require that certain information is filed on a central register. So the purpose of this morning's webinar is to refresh on the requirements regarding the beneficial ownership of companies and investment funds that are familiar to us, and to discuss updates in their practical application. But it's also to consider the trust regulations with which most of us are not so familiar. To do this, I'm delighted to be joined by three of my colleagues. Firstly, we have Laura Carney, who is the director of Mason Hayes and Curran's company secretarial department. And we also have Connor Durkin, who is a partner on our financial services team and who specializes in the field of investment funds and asset management. And finally, we have Nick Metcalf, one of our corporate partners and a member of our corporate governance team. Laura, I'm going to start with you. Before we discuss the obligations imposed on companies by the regulations, can you remind us of who a beneficial owner is for the purposes of these regulations?
1: Certainly. Thanks, Claire, and thanks, everyone, for joining this morning. Uh, a beneficial owner is defined in the regulations as any natural person who owns or controls a legal entity. So that's either through direct or indirect ownership. Where they have a sufficient percentage of the shares or voting rights or ownership interest in that entity so that's in excess of 25 percent or that they control it by other means so there's also a second element of that definition where no such natural person can be identified or if there's some doubt as to whether such person exists In that case, there should be entered in the register as the beneficial owners, the names and details of one or more natural person who holds the position of a senior managing official in the company or society. Thank you,
0: Laura. So what are a company's obligations regarding its beneficial
1: ownership? There are two key obligations. The first one is that to identify any beneficial owners of the company in line with the criteria you just mentioned and to hold accurate and current information on those beneficial owners in a company's internal beneficial ownership register. Um, And then secondly, it's to arrange for the information that's held in that internal register to be filed with the central register of beneficial ownership. And then there's an ongoing obligation to keep the information both in the internal and the central register up to date. And any update to the details should be done within 14 days of any relevant change. Thank you,
0: Laura. Over to you now, Connor. Um, You will be bringing us through the application of the regulations to investment funds. But before you do, can you just clarify for us the types of entity that are included within the term investment funds? Thanks,
2: Claire, When we refer to investment funds, we are referring to funds that are authorised and regulated by the central bank. In particular, we're talking about five different types of fund vehicles. And they are the ICAV, which is the Irish uh, Collective Asset Management Vehicle, an investment company or PLC as we refer to it, a unit trust, which is different to the trust vehicles that Nick will be talking about, investment limited partnerships and common contractual funds. And one of the important distinctions, I suppose, with funds is that um, other than PLCs, the register, the central register, is the central bank as opposed to the register for beneficial owners.
0: Thank you, Conor. Is the definition of beneficial owner the same in the context of investment
2: funds? The definition is the same as Laura has mentioned, and it means a shareholder or an investor who holds uh, more than 25% of the shares or ownership interests in the fund vehicle. But what may be different for investment funds is uh, the identity of the beneficial owner, and this takes into account the legal structure or type of vehicle that we're dealing with. So if you take, for example, a unit trust, Again, it's the manager and the trustee who form the relationship there. And assume you don't have unit holders who hold more than 25% of the interest in the trust, then the default position is to identify the manager and indeed the senior managing officials or the directors of the manager as being beneficial owners. And similarly for uh, investment limited partnerships, you'd have the GP and you'd have the senior managing officials of the GP. And then just a completer understanding for ICAVs, Again, assuming if you don't have, which is typically the case, uh, a shareholder who holds more than 25%, the default position is to identify the directors of the ICAP or the PLC as being the entities who are identified for that purpose as the beneficial owners.
0: Thank you, Connor. And have investment funds the same obligations as companies regarding their beneficial ownership?
2: Yes, they do have the same obligations. And here we're referring to the four primary obligations on investment funds. And that is to take reasonable measures to identify the beneficial owners, to maintain an internal register of the beneficial owners and to file details of the beneficial owners with the central bank. And lastly, and on an ongoing basis, to keep an internal register and keep that internal register and the filings with the central bank up to date.
0: Thank you, Connor. Nick, over to you now. Um, trusts are by their very nature they're different corporate entities, and the regulations introduce different concepts to deal with this. Um, now, before we talk about the obligations themselves, um, could you could you just explain to us the types of trusts that are covered by the trust regulations?
3: Sure. Thank you, Claire, and, and good morning, everybody. Uh, as, as you noted earlier, Claire, the, the 2021 regulations. Uh, Replaced the earlier regulations relating to trusts, which were made in 2019. And in doing so, they clarified to a certain extent the type of trust covered. Uh, the 2019 regulations, as again you mentioned in, in the preamble, applied to express trusts whose trustees bury the resident in, in the state or which are otherwise administered in the state. And the 2021 regulations refined this slightly by incorporating a definition of relevant trust from the criminal justice. Money Laundering and Terrorist Financing Act 2010, as that act has been amended. And that definition definition is an express trust established by deed or the declaration in writing, unless it is an exempted trust for that purpose. And those exemptions are approved occupational pension schemes, approved retirement benefit schemes, certain profit sharing or employee share ownership schemes, the haemophilia HIV trust, and as as Connor has noted, unit trusts, which are the the subject of separate regulations. And those types of trust are all outside the general uh, definition of express trust. And on top of that, the, the express trust in question has to have certain characteristics. And those are either that the trustees of the trustee, the trustees of the trust are resident in Ireland, that the trust is otherwise administered in Ireland, or if, if neither of those applies, if, if a trustee acting in the capacity as trustee of the, of the relevant trust has entered into a business relationship in Ireland or has acquired land in Ireland.
0: Thank you, Nick. But can you also clarify who is a beneficial owner for the purposes of the trust regulations?
3: Sure. And, and this is another area where the 2021 regulations uh, have changed the scope uh, of the 2019 regulations. Uh, and, in, and in doing that, they seem to have created a bit of ambiguity. And, and it's worth, because of that, going into a bit of detail here. So the 2019 regulations, which, which no longer apply, incorporate the definition of beneficial owner for, for the purposes of trust. From the underlying European directives, the fourth and fifth anti-money laundering and directives, and that definition identifies five classes of, of individual who can be beneficial owners of trusts, and those are the beneficiaries themselves. As you might expect, either identifiable individuals or classes of individuals, uh, the trustee of the trust, the settlor of the trust—that is, the person who largely contributions to the the trust property, or the protector of the the trust, which is is really a a more civil law concept and doesn't really apply generally to to trusts established in Ireland. Or if if there is somebody else who otherwise controls the trust, that person as well. And in each of those cases, in the 2019 regulations and in the directive, that beneficial owner is going to be an individual, That, that word is used. And the 2021 regulations that those currently enforce retain those classes of the beneficial owner, the beneficiary, the trustee, et cetera. But they, they seem to go a bit further uh, because whilst the definition of beneficiary uh, is limited to individuals or classes of individuals, the other types of, of potential beneficial owner, the trustee, the settler, the protector, the person who otherwise controls the trust. The word individual is not specifically used in relation to those types of uh, a beneficial owner. So it is possible to read into that, that a beneficial owner occupying one of those classes could be uh, a body corporate or other legal entity. And I'll come on to that shortly as well, because that that then ties in with with some further regulations which... uh, which, which we find what beneficial what the, what uh, the trustees' obligations are in, in obtaining information about beneficial owners. But it's worth noting as well that the, the definition of beneficial owner is sped, is limited where it, where certain trusts are, are applied. And so, for sports clubs and charitable trusts, the beneficial owners are stated to be only the trustees, the committee, or the other governing body of the trust, or any other person who has control over the trust, but no other person. And for trusts which are established by wills, the beneficial owners are only the executor or the administrator of the relevant estate, or again, any other person who has control of the trust, but no other person. So that's that's kind of so far so good. But as I mentioned earlier, the regulations then go a bit further uh, when we come to Regulation 7, and that is the regulation which sets out the information which trustees must obtain about their beneficial owners. Uh, and that individual that information so relates really to only information which applies to individuals. It's data, but we'll come on to, to what that in, information is uh, later on. And then the regulations go on to say, well, if the trustee of a, of a relevant trust identify a body corporate, who is, sorry, legal entity, which in this context will be a body corporate of a relevant trust, which is a beneficiary of the relevant trust. So not a trustee or a settler, but only a beneficiary. And the trustees have to go behind that legal entity and find out information about the beneficial ownership of that legal entity. And the regulations split those types of legal entity into two. Firstly, those who are incorporated and registered in member states and who have filed on uh, registers of beneficial ownership of companies and Bodies corporate in those member states and those outside the EU. So, taking those two in turn, if the trustees of a relevant trust identify that one of the beneficiaries of that trust is a company registered in Ireland, the the trustees of that trust are obliged to go to the register of beneficial ownership of companies and industrial and provident societies that Laura is discussing to find the filings made by that company obtain that information, obtain the filing number, and that is the information they then put on the register. If the entity is incorporated outside the EU, however, if it's a, if it's a body corporate incorporated in the UK or in the USA, and if it is a beneficiary of a relevant trust, then the trustees are required to uh, obtain information as respects any individuals who are constituted through that legal entity, and that's a direct legislation. And that's a slightly unusual phrase in the context of of Irish company law. But we can presume that it means, given the requirements I've just mentioned, to obtain information about EU-registered legal entities, that it's information about the people who own or control that legal entity which is registered outside the the EU. But what the regulations don't do is to replicate the kind of built-in de minimis requirements that we see with Bodies corporate registered in the EU. So Laura mentioned earlier that if uh, with a, a company incorporated in Ireland, its directors are required to ascertain if there are any individuals who ultimately own or control 25% or more of that company or who own or control it through other means. And that is, is the same broadly across Europe. However, if uh, we have a relevant trust, who, which has a beneficiary, which is a company incorporated in the UK, and that company has, let's say, 50 individual members, then, on a strict reading of the, reg- of the regulations, it seems that the trustee of the relevant trust would have to identify and obtain information about all 50 of those members. Uh, whether that's the intention or not is, is not currently clear, but that does seem to be what the regulations say, and it's something on which clarity is it's currently being sought.
0: Thank you, Nick. Uh, I might just ask you to, to outline for us now the obligations that the trust regulations impose on, on trustees regarding the beneficial ownership of the trust. And who has the responsibility for, for, for meeting these obligations?
3: Yeah, So, so as I noticed uh, in, in the, the slightly longer answer uh, earlier on, the, the obligation falls on the trustees of the trust. And they are required to obtain certain information about the beneficial ownership, the beneficial owners of the trust which they keep on an internal register and in time uh, file on a central register which is being established Uh, uh, and as with the other types of central register there there will also be obligations to uh, update that that information on the register as and when it requires to be updated.
0: Thank you Nick. We we might just spend a little bit of time now discussing the information um, that's required to be held and filed um, in, in respect of beneficial owners across the various Um, body types. So Laura, while a lot of us are familiar with the information that companies are required to hold and file in respect of their beneficial owners, can you just remind us of this information?
1: Sure, Um, the information required to be filed with the Central Register for Companies and Societies is primarily in line with the information required to be held at the Internal Register also. So that's obviously the company name and number and then in relation to each beneficial owner that has been identified, it's the full name, date of birth, residential address, nationality of the beneficial owner, as well as a statement of the nature and extent of the interest that's held or exercised and also the date of entry as a beneficial owner or the date of cessation visit when it comes along to updating the register. And um, the only information, the only other additional information that's required for filings with the central register, which isn't required to be kept in the internal register, is the PPS number for each beneficial owner. And that's required for the purpose of identifying or verifying identity, and it's not available on any ORBO access search. Um, And it's very important that the details entered for the beneficial owner match the information that's associated with the PPS number in the Department of Social Protection. This is often where we're actually seeing filings with the RBO rejected. So, for example, where people use Irish versions of their name in the central register, but they may have an English version of it with the Department of Social Protection. Or, for example, people using longer versions like Jonathan instead of John. And those kind of things have led to a lot of practical issues of filing, and often just because of uh, GDPR considerations, you don't often get, as presenters, you don't often get the reason for why filings are rejected. So it's often um, not not obvious why that is the case, but it's often the best uh, starting point is to check that the information for the PPS number is consistent with what's in the Department of Social Welfare. And then obviously there's cases where there's foreign beneficial owners who may not have an Irish PPS number, And the central register has introduced what they're calling a form Ben 2 that was introduced in August 2019. And that requires the details and identity of the beneficial owner to be verified by a notary public where it's been certified outside of Ireland, which would typically be the case with the foreign individual who's a beneficial owner. Um, I think we're seeing approximately about 8% of all RBO filings that are requiring a Ben 2 And what we've found um, for a lot of companies, it's often this requirement of, of arranging the notarisation of a form BENTU, which has led to some difficulties in fulfilling the obligations, just in particularly over the last 18 months with the COVID pandemic has led to some issues with in-person notarisations. Thank you, Laura.
0: Um, So firstly, where where is the information on companies held? Who maintains the register And, and who has access to that information?
1: So the Companies Registration Office is responsible for maintaining the central register of companies and industrial society societies. And they've established an online portal for arranging the filings. So all of the information is filed through this portal and there's no hard copy or postal options for companies. So it's all done online. Um, in terms of access, there's two levels of access available. So there's Tier 1 access, which is unrestricted access, and that's available to competent authorities um, that are set out in the regulations. And it includes organizations such as Zangar, the and um, the Financial Intelligence Unit, the Revenue Commissioners, CAB, the Central Bank, the Department of Justice. Um, those kind of entities, they're all set out in the regulations. and They have unrestricted access. And then separate to that, there's Tier 2 access. And that's available to any designated person under the regulations. So that's any party or firm that's required by the regulations to conduct customer due diligence. And that tier two access is also available to the general public.
0: Thank you, Laura. Sorry, you
1: finished. Yeah, sorry. Thank you, Laura.
0: I wasn't yeah, sure if okay. you we were finished. Okay. Um, Connor, I'm, I'm just just in terms of the information and holding requirements for investment funds. Are they the same as for companies?
2: Yes, investment funds are required to supply the uh, same information. Uh, We're talking about the name, residential address, date, birth and nationality of the beneficial owners, the nature and extent of the interest held in the fund. One important distinction, however, is to be made is that to date, investment funds have not been required to file details regarding uh, the PPSs of the beneficial owners with the central bank. However, during the final quarter of this year, 2021, there will be a new filing requirement which will require PPSs of each beneficial owner to be filed with the central bank. And I'll mention that further when we discuss recent developments later on in our, in our
0: discussion today. Thank you, Connor. So you've, you've mentioned that the, that the central bank um, maintains the register. And, and who, has, who has access to this register? The central bank? Again,
2: it's the same access rights that Laura had mentioned. We're talking about um, full access rights, shall we say, to public authorities being the Gardaí, Revenue Commissioners, the Criminal Assets Bureau. They have unrestricted access. However, the general public also have access to, as Laura described, tier two restricted access. And this is to the same level of information. We're talking about details of the uh, identity of the beneficial owners, uh, not the residential addresses, but details as to their nationality. Um, but what is different, I suppose, is the manner in which details of the uh, beneficial owners can be obtained. Uh, the beneficial ownership details can be obtained by sending an email request to a dedicated email uh, that the central bank operates. And there's no charge for the search request either. So, so it's very much a, a streamlined uh, process for, for obtaining details of beneficial owners.
0: Thank you, And um, Back to you now, Nick, um, and, and trusts. What information are trustees required to hold in respect of the beneficial ownership of the trust itself?
3: It's it's the same information as Laura and Connor have identified there. The name, residential address, nationality uh, uh, as as well as nature and the extent of interest held by the beneficial owner. And again, there is a requirement for the trustees to obtain the PPS number of each beneficial owner. Uh, Or, in in the case of of trusts, where the beneficial owner does not have a PPS number and is not resident in the state. Uh, Another unique identifying number and a copy of the document from which that number is derived and the regulations used as examples, uh, passports on national identity card.
0: Thanks Nick. Um, So while the obligation to maintain internal registers of beneficial ownership of trusts has been in place for, for a little while, the central register is new. Who's going to maintain it? When will it open for filing? And what what deadlines do we all need to be aware of?
3: So the central central register will be is in fact being maintained by the Revenue, uh, and the register is already open for filing, and, and that's done by the the ROS system, the, ROS system. the uh, and and we understand as well from from some uh, uh, contact we've had with the the Revenue that the filings are being made. Uh, the good news for people listening maybe is that the uh, that uh filings don't have to be made yet. The regulations came into effect on the 23rd of April of this year, and provide that for all relevant trusts established at the time of when the regulations came into effect, then the filing deadline is six months. So that will be the 23rd of October of this year. For relevant trusts established after the 23rd of April, the filing deadline is six months from the date of establishment. And who's
0: going to have access to this information, Nick?
3: So, uh, again, in, in, uh, consistently with the other two types of, of, of register already set up, there are two types, there are two categories of access. There's unrestricted access and there's restricted access. And again, unrestricted access is open to those bodies of the state who are charged with combating uh, money laundering and terrorist financing offences. So, again, the Guards, the FIU, the Revenue itself, uh, the CIB, et cetera. And again, it's certainly in common with the the company's uh, regulations, and I presume as well the financial institution regulations. There is a safeguard there in that any access must be made by a uh, person within the relevant organisation of a certain rank, and that uh, uh, application must have been approved by a person of a higher rank. So there are safeguards, presumably against against abuse. In addition to the state bodies mentioned, uh, there are uh, noted competent authorities uh, within the trust regulations, and those are, again, Central Bank, Ministry of Justice, uh, Law Society and so forth, again, whose uh, employees of a certain rank have rights of unrestricted access, uh, and unrestricted access is everything which is on the register but not the PPS or other unique identifying number. Again, Laura mentioned the purpose for it is it's to enable the registrar to identify That's why I said ascertain the identity of the beneficial owner whose details have been filed, and the state bodies mentioned are entitled to share the information which they gather from the central register with their equivalent bodies in other member states of the European Union. So that's unrestricted access. There are also types of classes of people who are entitled to restricted access, and again, as with the other two types of register, the restricted access is. Name, month and year of birth, full date of birth, country of residence, but not residential address, nationality, and again the the uh, statement of the nature and extent of the interest or control exercised over the trust property, and the people who are entitled to restricted access are again designated persons, which is in keeping with the other ones, but those again are. Uh, persons who are uh, obliged to conduct you know your clients' anti-money laundering exercise in relation to their clients by entering into business relationships with them, uh, law firms, facts, the, the obvious examples. And also other people which loosely could be categorised in the general public Save that that category of person is significantly limited by the trust regulations, whereas, as both Laura and Connor have mentioned, there is a kind of... Uh, general uh, uh, access to the the register for the public. With the trusts, that isn't the case. And any person other than those categories, which I've mentioned, who wish to have restricted access to the uh, information on the central register of trusts must demonstrate to the registrar that those persons have a legitimate interest in the information. And that legitimate interest is that the applicant must demonstrate the registrar that he or she is engaged in the prevention, detection, or investigation of money laundering or terrorist financing offences. That he or she wants the information in question for the purposes of that protection, detection, investigation. So it's not just a phishing expedition, it's it's for the purposes of some ongoing action that the person is taking. And that the trust is connected with persons convicted of money laundering or terrorist financing, or that the trust holds assets in a higher risk country. And alternatively to that, A person other than those mentioned, designated person, state body, et cetera, may request restricted information if it can be demonstrated that the trust in question holds a controlling interest in any entity which is incorporated outside of the EU. And the regulations anticipate that in either event, the applicant will make uh, written submissions to the registrar explaining what their legitimate interest is, and the registrar has the discretion within the regulations to say yes or no on receipt of that uh, of those written submissions. And just just to complete this as well, there are further safeguards relating to information on beneficial owners who are minors.
0: Great, thank you, Nick. Um, uh, I think I think I, I you you so you've you've set out the the information trustees are required to hold. I think I skipped over the question. Is there is there any distinction between between that and what actually gets filed uh, in the central register?
3: No, no. Again, it's, it's the same as as, uh, as with the other reg- registers. The trustees are obliged to file the information on the internal register and, and the PPS or other unique identifying number for the beneficial owners. Although again, those numbers, whichever type they are, will not go onto the register itself, and as I've mentioned, uh, are not available for anyone to get, even though they're restricted access. I'm, I'm
0: going to move on now briefly, just to to compliance and, and consequences of not filing um so I'll, I'll put a question um to each of you and and laurie you can start could you outline for us the, co- the consequences of a company not complying with its filing obligations
1: yeah so where a company has failed to deliver the beneficial ownership details to the central register before the statutory deadline i mean initially for companies that were in existence at the time this was november 2019 mm-hmm. And then going forward, it's within five months of incorporation for any new company. So any company that fails to meet those deadlines commits an offence, and they they are liable on summary conviction to a class A fine, so that's a fine of up to €5,000, or on conviction on indictment to a fine not exceeding €500,000. And again, there's similar penalties set out in the regulations for providing false or misleading information to the central register.
0: Thank you, Laura. Same question for you, Connor.
2: That's correct. So rather than repeating what Laura has said, um, investment funds are subject to the same requirements, but perhaps a a differentiating factor here might be just to identify to whom the regulations apply to. They apply to the investment fund, but in the context of, let's say unit trust or investment limited partnership, it should be clear that it applies to the managing body of that vehicle. So that will be to the GP in the case of, uh, or general partner in the case of a partnership. Um, or the manager um, in the case of human trust. Um, so the, therefore the, the managing body and the board of that body should be aware of changes that are made to the funds investor base. And often because there would be some distance removed from that, I think it's incumbent upon the boards of managers and ICAs, or otherwise to ensure that there's appropriate level of monitoring of the shareholder base being carried out, whether that be carried out by the AFM itself or most likely in most cases the administrators I think that's uh, that's an important
0: practical consideration to be brought in that context thank you Connor and same question for you Nick in respect of trusts
3: yeah well uh, maybe a trivon's relief given the length of my answer so far I the 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 penalties in the trust regulations uh, to a large extent there are those in the company's regulations uh, that Laura outlined out
0: thank you Nick Laura, when it comes to companies, it's a lot easier to measure compliance. Um, We've also had time to get used to the existence of of the RBO. What has
1: your experience been in terms of compliance by companies? Generally speaking, compliance levels have been reasonably good for companies. Um, Up to the end of 2020, 81% of all registered companies and 64% of industrial and provident societies had made filings with the central register of course this doesn't this only reflects compliance with the initial filing obligation and it doesn't really give any indication of the level of compliance with the obligation to keep the information up to date that's obviously going to be something that's more difficult to measure Um, anecdotally it did appear that companies that were in existence at the time of the initial filing deadlines in 2019 were relatively compliant and there was a major project of raising awareness around the requirements at the time Um, However, levels of compliance for newly incorporated companies since that date do seem to have been somewhat lower. Um, Our own experience from our own client base is that, generally speaking, there isn't a major resistance to the transparency of ownership element of the implementation of the regulations. Um, Any difficulties we've had around fulfilling obligations within the deadlines have typically been in the area of completion and notarising of form bound twos in various jurisdictions, Um, in particular I suppose it has just coincided with COVID restrictions around the world in the last eighteen months, and um, so that has often been where some of the possible delays in compliance have come from.
0: Thanks, Laura. Connor, investment funds haven't had as much time, so the the it, the deadline was actually Christmas Day last year, which is a, a great date really for a deadline. Um, has your experience with investment funds been the same?
2: It's, um, it it has. If anything. Um, the experience would illustrate uh, uh, almost full or essentially full compliance with the filing requirements. It is correct to note that we don't have that much experience, shall we say, in relation to ILPs or common contractual funds because the central register has only been operational since the 1st of September, so that's that's not long at all. Um, but uh, when we look at uh, the the list, so the central bank has published a list of funds where it identifies those funds that it maintains a central registrar Uh, And that's very, very comprehensive uh, from looking at that. I'm not aware of any gaps in that. But in in addition to that, our experience would illustrate as well that there has been full compliance in relation to the filing requirements with the central bank so far.
0: And how do you anticipate the central bank is going to deal with defaulters?
2: Indeed, the central bank has been monitoring compliance in this area. So during the first quarter of this year, Um, It sent out a a reminder in in the context of funds that might have been terminating or otherwise. So it's an area that the central bank is actively policing. In terms of the general enforcement approach that the central bank takes, people who operate in the funds industry will be familiar that the central bank operates an active risk-based approach to supervision. And that is very much supported by the credible uh, threat of enforcement. So taking that philosophy to bear into how it um, monitors compliance generally, we would expect that enforcement in relation to beneficial ownership filings would be no different and that uh, this is an area that the central bank will actively monitor and indeed enforce.
0: Laura, what do you think the future holds in terms of enforcement action being brought brought against defaulting companies?
1: Um, The central register, they scheduled a what they called a staggered non-compliance reminder campaign in March 2020 for all entities who hadn't filed by the initial deadline of the 22nd of November in 2019. Um, Obviously with the outbreak of the COVID-19 pandemic in or around the same time, the campaign was postponed and they only recommenced that in late 2020 and it's continuing into 2021. So a lot of companies um, will have received non-compliance reminders And they've also followed up then with slightly more strongly worded 14-day reminder letters which have issued to companies and to the individual directors of the companies themselves. Um, We're not yet aware of any prosecutions that have um, been instigated as yet for non-compliance, but you'd have to think that it's only a matter of time before we get to that stage of of enforcement.
0: Thank you, Laura. Before we move on to to questions and answers, um, I might just put put it to the panellists to maybe give us some tips in terms of, of, of you know, of, of of recent update. And, and in Nick's case, um, perhaps, where do you foresee practical challenges with the rollout of the filing requirements um, in respect of trusts?
3: Well, I mean, that's not quite an answer to the question, but, but just to continue the theme of enforcement there, so I think it's worth noting in relation to the trust register, because it's operated by the revenue, the, the revenue, of course, has an in, inbuilt in fairly active enforcement uh, section and, and culture itself so it's probably worth working on the basis that uh, uh, if you don't fulfill your obligations as a trustee relevant trust, you may uh, receive reminders and then action maybe quicker than, than the other registrars are, are put in place although that's that's speculation at this point but just generally the uh, as I noted earlier on the, the new regulations which haven't been in, in force all that long did or do seem to have changed the uh, type of of, of beneficial owner that the trustees need to go after, certainly in the context, uh, as as I I discussed earlier, of trusts which have beneficiaries which are bodies corporates incorporated outside the EU. There there may be a fair amount of work to ascertain who the individuals who own or control those entities are and uh, that even if there are a number of them, that it may be be necessary to obtain details on all of those beneficial items. So trustees need to be aware that, practically speaking, that there may be a fair amount of work for them to obtain the necessary information to get it filed on the internal register and then to make the filings by the first deadline of the the 23rd of October. So that that, that I would expect to be the main practical consideration here, just the the information that's necessary to obtain and the time there is to file. Thank you,
0: Nick. Uh, Laura, I suppose a slightly different question for you. Have there been any recent developments in relation to the Central Register of Beneficial Ownership that you'd you'd like to mention?
1: Yes, um, I suppose the most relevant one is the Criminal Justice Money Laundering and Terrorist Financing Amendment Act in 2021, which came into effect in April this year. And while the Act hasn't changed the obligations for companies, Its implementation has brought in changes around the obligations of designated persons, and this has led to compliance with the regulations being a much higher priority, in particular for newly incorporated companies. Um, Just as a reminder, designated person is defined in the 2020 Criminal Justice Act, and it includes financial institutions, accountants, auditors, tax advisors, legal professionals, as well as dealers in high wealth goods and that kind of thing. Um, and this 2021 Act requires that prior to the establishment of a business relationship with a customer, which is a company or society, the designated person is obliged to check that information concerning the beneficial ownership of the, comp- of the customer is entered in the RBO and that that information is consistent with the information that has been provided by the company as part of it the designated person's due diligence process. And there's also new forms introduced by the Central Register for designated persons to report any non-compliance or discrepancies in this information. And in practice, um, certainly banks, um, which are credit institutions or financial institutions, in theory, they can allow an account to be opened by a customer before ascertaining the beneficial ownership as long as no transactions are carried out on behalf of the customer before getting this information. So in practice, banks are insisting that RBO filings are made prior to a bank account being opened. And this means that from a practical perspective, newly incorporated companies who want to commence trading and open a bank account really need to ensure that their filings are made with the RBO as a matter of urgency post-incorporation, rather than waiting the five months which they're actually allowed um, under the regulations. And the 2021 regulation, they also oblige designated persons to report any non-compliance or discrepancies that they find in the information that comes to their knowledge from other sources when they're carrying out due diligence. And so it has become much more of a priority for companies where they're being requested this information from banks when they're opening bank accounts and also from other service providers such as auditors when they're establishing a business relationship.
0: Great, thank you, Laura. Same question for you, Connor. Any recent um, updates?
2: Uh, thanks. Um, there, there have been recent significant developments in this area. Amending regulations were published in July 2021, which require the PPS numbers of beneficial owners to be submitted to the central bank. And the central bank clarified in a the, in the letter to industry on the 19th of August that it will require a resubmission of benefit, uh, beneficial ownership details. Uh, by all relevant entities, and that information should include the PPS numbers of the beneficial owners, uh, the CBI or Central Bank reference number uh, to non-PPS owners where they have issued one, and there'll also be changes to questions in relation to whether or not the individuals um, um, hold a PCF positions with, with the Central Bank. Uh, the Central Bank has clarified that it will implement a process to deal with beneficial owners who don't have a PPS number, There'll be quite a few of those, and here we're really referring to foreign nationals who wouldn't have a PPS number. At this stage, it's not clear exactly what type of process the central bank will put in place. However, um, looking at the experience um, of the CRO, we would expect that it would be a very similar process. You're going to have a form of Ben or an equivalent uh, document used as a means of capturing and validating the information of people who don't have a PPS number, mainly individuals who are not resident in Ireland. That's And that's a significant change. The filing requirement for that uh, will be implemented during the fourth quarter of this year. And uh, the deadline, I think, is the 1st of January uh, 2022.
0: Thank you for listening to the
1: Mason-Hayes and Curran Law Podcast. We hope you found it useful. For more information on legal matters, podcasts and webinars, please visit mhc.ie.